So over the next few weeks, the world will celebrate Christmas. But the majority of people will be oblivious and ignorant to really what the weightiness and significance of Christmas is all about. People will go through this season. You'll see advertisement, all the commercials. And it's so easy to get lost this time of year into uh, the secular viewpoint instead of a biblical viewpoint. The one event that took place some 2,000 years ago of God becoming flesh is foundational for everything that we believe. That one event that took place when the angel had spoke to Mary and said, you're going to conceive, visits Joseph and says, it's cool, don't, don't send her away. This is really of God. That one event is foundational for everything that we believe. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I want you to hear this. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, many of us have heard this text, but this is a very weighty text, and I want you to open your heart and mind for the Holy Spirit to really penetrate you today. The declaration was personal. The declaration was powerful. The declaration is personal in that I bring you, I bring you, that'll be for all people. So the declaration that was made some 2,000 years ago is a personal message for you and I, even as we sit here today. As we ponder the concept of what God did some 2,000 years ago, it's relevant and relational and real for us today. I bring you. It'll be for all people. And all people are a part of his scope in regards to redemption. It was also a powerful message where he says it's good news. Good news, the gospel, it's going to bring great joy. When you really encounter and embrace the gospel, it brings great joy. Joy becomes central in your life. It's no longer just peripheral. It is at the very core of who we are when we embrace this Christmas narrative. Savior and Lord. I would highlight those two. I would circle those two words, Savior and Lord. Because the Bible identifies Jesus with both of these terms. These two terms are not synonymous, but these two terms, Savior and Lord, are essential to a proper understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. Now, don't miss this. As we unpackage this, you've got to get the weightiness here. Jesus came as Savior of the world. That's why he came. Jesus says, I've come to offer salvation. Salvation implies being delivered from and being rescued to. Now, the Bible Belt, the Southern culture, oftentimes presents this narrative of Savior. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to give you eternal life. The accurate understanding of the word salvation implies being rescued out of darkness, rescued out of drunkenness, selfishness, drug addiction, whatever it might be. Salvation implies being rescued from, but it implies with greater weightiness of what you're being delivered and set free to. So when we say that I've experienced salvation, it doesn't mean that I just walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, felt guilty, 
wanted a cosmic Santa to hook me up. Salvation at the core is I am being rescued. I am being set free from fear, anxiety, worry. The King of kings and Lord of lords is going to pour the Holy Spirit within me, and the Holy Spirit wants to guide me, control me, lead me. It implies now that this divine awakening of the soul has taken place. So salvation is deliverance and rescue from as well as being delivered to. Biblical salvation, if you even study 2 Corinthians, that godly sorrow, when it comes about, brings about a repentance without regret. Godly sorrow is when we realize that we have grieved the heart of God because of our sin, our wickedness, and our waywardness. So when we say that I have been saved, we understand that we deserve penalty and payment for our wickedness. We were alienated, separated from God. God has now been gracious to pluck us out of the ruins of darkness, take our feet out of miry clay. Now I'm being transferred into the kingdom of light to live the way God desires for me to live. That's salvation. Salvation, again, is not walking an aisle and just praying a prayer. The problem is the prayer is not mentioned in the Bible. Authentic salvation will always involve confession, repentance, and surrender. We talk surrender all the time, but surrender is a result of embracing Christ as Savior. Now, it's interesting. As long as you think I'm okay, I don't need any help, you're really jacked up. I'll say that to you. The person who realizes he is lost at least has hope. God would have never sent a Savior if we didn't need one. God would have never sent his son, Jesus as Savior, if we didn't need one. Now, Philippians chapter 2 is one of the strongest chapters in the entire Bible. It is called the great kenosis passage. It is God emptying himself, taking on the form of a man, and the man Christ Jesus becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. I want you to hear this, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Two key words, highlight them, underscore them, study them. But he emptied himself. The Trinity has always existed as the Trinity. Jesus has always been a part of the Trinity. Jesus didn't start some 2,000 years ago. We'll unpackage that. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. Two strong words to study. By becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, I've studied this. What an amazing sacrificial agape love that Jesus demonstrated when he willfully laid aside privileges of deity, meaning God privileges to become 100% man, never forfeiting the fact that he's 100% God. But he laid aside certain privileges when he identified with man for the 33 years. He became human. He grew up. He had pressures. Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, just like you and I, without sin. 
and he willfully died a criminal's death, murdered on the cross, and three days later, he defeats death, hell, and the grave, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. So when we look at who this Savior is, we're not talking about an innocent baby wrapped in swaddling clothes laying in a manger. We're talking about God, the Savior, revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, this is crucial to know. Jesus came as Savior to reveal God's love and to extend God's salvation. Greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus comes on the scene, he reveals the love of God. Jesus made these kind of statements. Listen to this right here. He knew his purpose. He said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Savior. I've come to seek and to save that, that which is lost. My purpose for being here is to glorify the Father, but I'm seeking to save whoever's lost. Deliverance from and deliverance to. Being rescued from, being rescued to. Listen to what he says. I desire for all men to repent and be saved. I desire for all to repent and be saved. I can't lean a hyper five-point Calvinist because of certain scripture like this. Who does God want to save? He desires us to see every person on this planet repent and be saved. Experience his salvation. Not cultural salvation where you feel guilty and walk an aisle and pray a prayer. If Christ has not radically changed you and reshaped you since you prayed the prayer and got baptized, you don't have biblical salvation. That's the reason there's joylessness and hopelessness and all of this inadequate stuff that you deal with. Jesus said, I did not come to serve, or I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Ransom, payment to extend salvation. Why did you come? So others could serve. You know, I came to serve and to give my life away as a ransom. Paul would even write in Corinthians, for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. The God of all universe identifies himself in poverty and ruined conditions when he's born, refusing to have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He identifies with the poorest of poor and the lowest of lows, saying, I am your only hope. So Christmas declares that Jesus Christ is Savior, but it declares that he is Lord. And I want to drive home this because it is so essential. Philippians chapter 2, we pick back up in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and God has bestowed on him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Lord, 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 I'm going to package it. Now, two things based on Philippians 2 that God has done with Jesus. Two things, don't miss it. He has given Jesus preeminence. It's a theological term which means to be first in rank. It means to have the greatest influence. It means to be supreme. So when God looks at his son and says, I have exalted his name, I've given him preeminence. I've given him first rank. I've given him 
supremacy in all things. Here's, here, here's the question. Your life daily reflects what you pursue as being preeminent. Each and every one of us walk in here with something that's preeminent in our life, something that dominates our life, something that calls the shots in our life. So you have to pause and say, if God has exalted him and given him the name that's above all names, what is preeminent in my life? What is center in my life? What is supreme in my life? What calls the shots in my life? Is it money? Is it wealth? Is it notoriety? Is it image? Is it control? Is it gossip? Or is it, is it the lordship of Jesus? It is impossible to declare Jesus as your Savior and him not be your Lord. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you meet me, you meet me as Earl and Glenda's son, as Barb's husband, and as Rachel, Benji, Jesse, and Hannah, and Caleb's daddy. That's who I am. People that say that you can walk an aisle and receive him as Savior and reject him as Lord has been sold a fallacious gospel. Now, God has given Jesus the ultimate place of honor in the universe. Colossians 1. Listen, listen, listen. We've got to understand Christmas. Colossians 1, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the He's the image of the invisible God. He's the image. Hebrews 1. In the former days, God spoke through the prophets and other means, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son, who is the exact radiance and representation of who he is. Colossians would say, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, new creation, that we become new creatures. For by him all things were created, both in heaven Earth, visible, invisible thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. Why have all things been created through him and for him? Because he has preeminence. He's supreme. He's king. He's God. He's deity. He is the exact radiance and representation of everything Abba's heartbeat is. Understanding Christmas. Who is he? He's preeminent. Because Jesus is supreme, we should pause and we should do introspection and there should be nothing that we would allow to distract us from him being preeminent in our lives. There should be nothing that we empower and place with any type of rank that would even compete with the lordship of who he is. Jesus Christ is to be exalted based on even Colossians 1. He is the creator. He is eternal. He is sustainer. He is Savior and Lord. He is God. He is the great I am. He is preeminent. So God exalted him, placed him 
as preeminent, supreme. He's above all. And then he did a second thing. He bestowed on him a name that's above every name. What did God do? God gave Jesus a new name. When he was born, they called him Jesus, which means God is our salvation or salvation is of the Lord. Joshua in the Old Testament, Yeshua, the same in Hebrew as it is in Greek. God is our salvation. When he was born, John the Baptist gave him a name. There's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Isaiah penned, oh, his name's going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Isaiah would prophesy, his name's going to be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah, yeah. But God gives him the name Lord. 600 times in the New Testament, Lord. 600 times. The name means master, ruler, the one in control, completely sovereign, king over everything. What's his name? Lord, master, ruler, authority. Lord in New Testament times was a word used for Caesar. When Caesar would walk by or when people would Refer to Caesar. The people were to say, Caesar is Lord. When these people had repented and had responded and had embraced Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, the anointed one, as Savior and Lord, the Roman soldiers would say, who is Lord? And they would say, Jesus is Lord, denouncing Caesar and saying Jesus only. Many of these people were put to death by the sword. Many of them were thrown into the lion's den. Many of them lost their lives because they were willing to say one thing, Jesus Christ is Lord. But they were not just willing to say it with their mouth, they were willing to live it with their lives. So we cannot, we cannot declare that lightly. We can't. He is Savior and Lord, born to you this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ, the Lord, Master, Ruler, Authority, Controller. Now, now, introspection. Do I know him as my Savior and Lord? Have I been delivered from and delivered to? Have I been set free? Have I been going through the motion? Do I show up saying, oh, he's my Savior because of what he did for me? Savior declares what he did on the cross. Lord declares the position he holds in my heart. What's his name? His name is Yeshua, Jesus. He is Savior and and Lord. So to declare for me, listen, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. I'm declaring that he's more than just a moral prophet. I'm I'm claiming that he's more than just an educated teacher. I'm I'm claiming that he's God. I'm claiming that he has everything under control. I'm claiming that nothing escapes his eye. I'm claiming that I might not know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. And I'm declaring that I might not know what's going to happen later today, but I trust who is in control of it. He's Lord. Our daughter 
Rachel when she was going to India years ago. I remember dropping her off. She was going to go on this trip. And I was like, she's going to India for two weeks. And I remember just pulling over and crying and weeping, going, there's my baby, putting her on a plane. She's going to be gone for two weeks. And the Holy Spirit said, who is in control? Tim, I'm either sovereign and preeminent and Lord in Loganville and Lord in Mumbai and Lord in Anchorage and Lord in Chicago and Lord in Hong Kong or I'm not Lord at all. I'm like, he's in control. He's sovereign. Barb and I are going to leave January 8th, Lord willing. We're going with a group of people to Israel. I'm excited to tour the Holy Land. And I want to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel. And I want to go to the Mount of Olives. And I want to walk through the Kidron Valley. And I want to go to the Dead Sea and the Jordan. I want to go to these places. And I know kids are going to say, they're going to be gone for 10 days. God used us to give birth to you, but not to be your Lord. And I don't want anything to happen. I'd love to get 75, 80 on this planet, maybe even 90. But he's Lord. If he tells me today, give me back my breath, I got to give it back. So whatever adversity you're facing, whatever uncertainty you're facing today, whatever you're going through, you're either going to be convinced that it's up to you to call the shots, to drive the narrative, to be in control, or you're going to fall on your face and declare, God, you are preeminent and sovereign. Understanding Christmas is releasing everything that I am to Jesus as Savior and Lord. You in control? No. No. I'm not. Because Jesus is Lord, I will commit. I will commit and surrender everything to him. I will not use the word Lord lightly. Romans 10. If you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Listen, listen, listen. You will be saved. Hold on. Salvation hinges on what? Based on the whole counsel of Scripture. If you're willing to confess, the Greek word is the word homologia, which means to desire the same and to speak the same. Are you willing to confess homologia? Are you willing to say what God says about his son? If you're willing to confess, he's Lord, master, ruler, authority, supreme, preeminent. And if I'm willing to believe in my heart, believe, the word is pistis in the Greek, which means to be persuaded to action. Demons believe and tremble. They're not persuaded to action. Now, here it is. Don't, 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 don't dismiss it. Don't reject it. Don't deny it. Don't suppress it. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart right now. Have I ever confessed that Jesus is 
Lord. Then I ask you if you ever confessed that you needed a Savior. Have you ever confessed him as Lord? But, but didn't we raise the dead and heal the sick and do all these things in your name? Depart from me, Jesus says. Never knew you because you didn't trust me as Lord. Barb and I were counseling with a couple of married couple a few years back. And uh, the guy had been in ministry. The guy had been around church stuff. And the guy confessed that there was a lot of infidelity in the relationship. And so I said, so how many women in the last 15 years of marriage have you hooked up with? A dozen? Oh, no, brother. Been a lot more than that. I got you. And his wife says, I know he loves Jesus as Lord. Ha, ha, ha. Do what? You're pacifying him by saying he loves Jesus as Lord? How many women? If there's even been one outside of you, he's saying that Christ is not his authority. Lord, don't use that word lightly. And when the Holy Spirit ambushed my heart back in 1985, he goes, Tim, I didn't come to take part, bruh. I came to take over. You will either submit and surrender to me as the Lord of your life or you won't know me. Your Lord. Your Lord. So when we use these phrases, and you hear people say it, Mike, Ronnie, you hear people say, man, I've been saved, I've been born again, I'm a Christ follower. It implies confession and belief. I admit the fact you're God. I believe you've got everything under control. I believe your redemptive work was enough. I commit everything I have and surrender everything I have to you. Now the Holy Spirit is placed inside of me. And through the Holy Spirit, I can now strive to obey his commands, do what he says, honor him with every area of my life. Why? Because I've got God in me, the hope of glory, the power of the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Now, now here, here, here's the truth. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God's already known this. For eternity. But one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The question is we deal with our own personal lives with family, friends, neighbors, etc. The question is not, are they one day going to confess him as Lord? No, they are. The question is, when will they? Will they do it while they still have opportunity? Or will they forfeit that opportunity and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, have to give an account, and have to look and go, your Lord. But to hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of surrender. Today is the day of declaring lordship. You can't play games. There's too much at stake. Some of you have forfeited opportunities for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You've denied the gospel. You've rejected the lordship of Jesus. And you've created such a web of chaos and confusion in your own narrative. And he's like, 
if you will repent and confess and believe that I'm Lord. I am Savior, but I'm Lord. The greatest need in America today is for our nation, is for our churches, is for our families, and is for us as individuals to rediscover that Jesus Christ is Lord. The greatest need in our nation today, the greatest need in your house and my house, is for us to rediscover, submit to, and yield to the Lordship of Jesus. Now let me wrap it up. I mean, as I studied and, and prayed over the, these last couple of messages, one of the things was we've got to understand Christmas. We can't minimize, we can't trivialize the weightiness of Christmas. We cannot reduce Jesus down to manageable terms to make him what we want him to be. Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord? It may seem like evil is winning right now in your life. And you may feel like I can't cope anymore. But I got good news for you. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's able to save you from you, save you to him, and transform your life. You may think, the pressure's too much. These problems I'm facing right now, they're too great to overcome. And circumstances are piled up against me right now. I want to remind you, Jesus Christ is Lord. He can be trusted. He can be depended upon. You walk in here today and you're discouraged, downcast, tired, worried, afraid. You're grieving that nasty divorce. You were betrayed. You're feeling rejected. You've lost a loved one. This is the first holiday season you've gone through without that mom, that dad, that sibling, that friend. But I want to I remind you, Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Calling Jesus Lord implies I repent. I confess homologia. I receive. I surrender. And with everything that I have, I apply myself to become what he wants me to be. This is what I sent out to a few friends last night. Lord declares the position he holds in our lives. Savior describes the work he has done for us. We cannot benefit from his work as Savior unless we're willing to surrender to his position as Lord. Would you really surrender? Would you cry out to Jesus as we move into a time of prayer, a time of communion? As we move into this time, there's going to be people here that would love to pray with you. Don't play games. Don't reduce it. Don't trivialize it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Would you submit to him as Lord of your life?